Please turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, specifically the last Adam, our resurrection hope. And as you're turning there, just to relieve any anxiety, we will not go verse by verse through all 58 verses. We're going to be highlighting uh, the verses throughout the chapter that focus on Jesus our resurrection hope. Last week, as Ricky began this Advent series, Alpha and Omega, awaiting the promise, um, he looked at John chapter 1. Jesus, the Word who had always existed with God the Father, came to the earth in human flesh to dwell among us. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The long-awaited promise had come. Jesus came not just to dwell among us. He came to live a perfect life, die a sacrificial death, carrying our sin, dying in our place. He was buried. He rose victoriously from the dead. And one day is promised that he's coming again as the eternal king. And as we learned over the past several weeks, we are great sinners in need of a greater savior. We desperately need a savior to conquer sin and death, both spiritual death and physical death. And Christ is our greater savior. Jesus, the eternal creator and life giver, gives every Christian hope for the future. Every Christian can live with confident expectation for eternal life and a glorified body. Because our hope is in Jesus, the Word, the last Adam, the resurrection and the life, who defeated death and is alive. We can celebrate Christmas during this season because of Easter. Jesus, the life and light, is overwhelmingly victorious. Jesus turned death man's ultimate tragedy and greatest fear into the ultimate triumph through his resurrection. For everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, every Christian has life in his name. The Christian life is therefore a life of victory and triumph. There's victory for every Christian, but it only comes through what Jesus has done for us. So let's read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse number 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised, and on the third day, on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and He appeared. And if you skip down to verse number 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Verse 20, But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom 
to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Verse 45. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first Adam was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the immortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord... Your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we're thankful. We celebrate this time of the year because of the joy, hope, and peace, and love that you provide. Thank you for sending your Son to live and to die that we could have life in your name. Thank you that he didn't just live and die, but that he rose again victorious over sin and death. Help us as we celebrate this Christmas season to remember that. That as we wait your coming, that we celebrate and wait with joy. Because we know that one day we, too, have the promise of resurrected bodies. That we will stand before you and serve you in everything that we were meant to be, who you meant us to be without sin and sickness and pain. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Jesus came to live a perfect life, die a sacrificial death, be buried and rise victorious from the dead. Jesus is the living one who defeated death. He is our resurrection hope. Christians, we are able to have a steadfast hope for eternal life because Jesus turned death, the ultimate tragedy, into the ultimate triumph through the resurrection. From this passage in 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at five things concerning the resurrection. First, I want us to look at the confidence in the resurrection. We can have a confidence in Jesus' resurrection from the dead 
And Paul understands that the belief in Jesus' resurrection is foundational to believing the gospel. He begins this long chapter on resurrection with reminding them of the gospel. In verse number one, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preach to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And then he goes on to say, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture, and that he appeared. Paul doesn't just remind them of the gospel and the resurrection. He starts listing eyewitnesses. He says, hey, don't just take my word for it. Go ask these people. And he lists off people, even people who are already dead. But he says, All these, some of these people are still with us. Go ask them about the resurrection. Each of the gospel gives a detailed account of the resurrection. Matthew 28, Luke 16, or Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20 and 21, and even Luke's account in the Acts of Apostles, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, give detailed accounts of Jesus' resurrection. And one of my favorite verses about the resurrection, Luke 24, um, 5 through 8, it says, They come to the grave, and they're standing there, and the angel appears to them, and says, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. Why, Why do you seek the living among the dead? You serve a resurrected Savior who had told you from the very beginning that he had come to conquer sin and death and he was going to rise from the dead and reign. Acts chapter 1 and 2 and Acts 1, he comes to his disciples and before he ascends to heaven, he says, you're going to be my witnesses. As they go out and Peter preaches on Pentecost, his first sermon He doesn't just highlight Jesus' life and death. A focal point of his sermon was that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus had victory over death. Paul wanted every believer to have confidence, not only in Jesus' resurrection, but he also wanted them to give them a, a steadfast hope that they too would one day be raised with Christ. Every person found in Christ can confidently look forward to a resurrected body. So Paul poses the question to them in verse number 12. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, if you believe Christ is raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Paul is saying, You have the evidence of the resurrection. How can you not believe it? And then Paul begins this argument, um, verse through verse 19, that if there's no resurrection from the dead, if, if you don't believe in a resurrection from the dead, then Christ couldn't have been raised from the dead. And if Christ hadn't been raised from the dead, then every human is still in sin. 
We've been talking about the curse and what that meant through Adam's sin and how that affected all mankind. If Christ hadn't been raised from the dead, then we're still in, in sin and therefore we are without hope. But then he crescendos his argument with the reminder and hope in verse number 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ has been raised from the dead. Jesus is the way, the truth, the resurrection, and the life. And that, in that there is steadfast hope for all who are in Christ. Not only is there evidence of the resurrection, that we can have confidence in it, we need to look at the need for the resurrection. What is our need for the resurrection? And I want you to look at verse 17. It says, And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sin. In verse 21 and 22, For as by a man came death. And then in verse 22, For as in Adam all die. The need for the resurrection we can see all the way back in Genesis 3, where we're introduced to sin and death. Before we started this Advent series, for several weeks, Pastor Seth has been talking and detailing about the effects of sin on mankind and the world. Pastor Seth emphasized the point that the cosmos God created is corrupted and cursed because of mankind's sin, and the life given by God is displaced by death. We see it in Genesis chapter 3, and I think I have a whole bunch of verses up there, but I'm going to focus on just a couple of them. I'm not going to read the whole passage. In verse 6, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Sin. Sin entered the world. We see sin. In verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Sin entered the world. There's a problem. Immediately, God makes a promise that he's going to send someone to fix the problem. And then in verse 8, 19, till we return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. From verse 6 to verse 19, sin enters, there's a promise. Verse 19, 13 verses later, sin enters. Immediately, death. To dust you shall return. As, as sin enters the world, death also enters the world. The clock of every human being's death began. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. In one of his songs, Shailen writes, we're cursed from our birth, sinning from the beginning, the womb to the tomb, depraved to the grave. Astray every day, every breath brings death, and Adam all die, and Adam all die. Adam brought sin into the world, and so death passed to all men. We're all with sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. 
Therefore, we deserve death. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. The penalty for my sin, the earning of my sin is death. And that's not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. It's a double death. Not only when I'm old will I die, but if I am not in Christ, I will die spiritually. The first Adam passed on his sin nature to all those who came after him. We are all born in sin, and therefore we must die. Death is every man's malignant adversary. Death is like a cancer. As soon as we're born, our death clock begins. And so it looms over us, torturing mankind. And Paul writes, if you look down in verse 56 of chapter 15, he says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. You see, sin is what brings death. As soon as sin entered the world, immediately death came. The strength of sin is the law. The law is what spells out sin, and sin brings death. The, the sin, law, and death are all enemies looming over every human. And we are great sinners in need of a greater Savior. And the good news, the great news, is that God can deliver us from the chaos, the curse, and corruption created by sin. Only God can make the dead alive. We looked at part of verses 21 and 22, but there's the rest of it. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Our need for the resurrection is sin and death. Just as Adam's sin had far-reaching consequences of sin and death to all mankind, Christ's resurrection too has far-reaching consequences and benefits for all mankind. Our sin requires a resurrected Savior who defeated sin and death. John Piper writes, The resurrection of Jesus is an exclamation point of God's joy and celebration of all that Christ did for us in His dying. We have a resurrected Savior, therefore we can have a steadfast hope. Third, I want us to look at the hope from the resurrection. We have a resurrected Savior, and therefore we have a steadfast hope. And so Paul lays out who our hope is in. Our hope is in Jesus, and what our hope is for. Our hope is for eternal life in a resurrected body forever with Jesus. Verse 20, it says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and then in his coming those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
In verse 45, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam becomes a life-giving spirit. In verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. In verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And Paul says that Jesus is the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. We need to look at three things from this verse. First, two aspects of the word firstfruits. See, Paul is giving his readers an agriculture example of something that they would understand of what's going to happen. The first fruits of the harvest were an example and a predictor of what the rest of the harvest would be like. And Paul is saying Jesus' resurrection and Paul is saying Jesus' resurrection is an assurance that one day all who are in Christ will too be resurrected. The resurrection, resurrection of Jesus is proof that this final day is coming. Jesus is the first fruits of those who have died in faith and the full resurrection harvest of his people is yet to come. So all who are in Christ can wait with this expectant and steadfast hope that one day too we will be with him in heaven. Second, the word fruit, first fruits conveys this idea of preeminence or greatness. Jesus was not the first person to be raised from the dead. There's examples. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He, he raised Lazarus from the dead. There's other people mentioned in the Bible. He's not the first person to be raised from the dead, but Jesus is the greatest person who ever rose from the dead. Just as Jesus was the firstborn of all creation, he is the first fruits of the resurrection. Jesus was preeminent in creation and is preeminent in the resurrection. Jesus is the guarantor that the final resurrection of the final resurrection harvest. And third, notice the words fallen asleep. He doesn't say we've died, like the wages of sin is death, like there's a finality of it in it. Our hope is that in Christ, our death is just a temporary step to the eternal glory that awaits us. John eleven twenty five and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See, there is no death in death for those who believe in Christ. All who are in Christ have a steadfast hope of eternal life. Hebrews 10, 12 through 14. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. All who are in Christ have a steadfast hope that Christ has perfected us. 
He is perfecting us. He will perfect us and that we will stand before him glorified. Romans 5, 18 through 21. Therefore, as that one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came, to, came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, so remember the law points out what sin is and sin brings death, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All who are in Christ have a steadfast hope that by grace, we who are in Christ are counted righteousness and granted the life Adam lost. First or in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, so in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about this whole chapter on resurrection because they're confused. In Thessalonians, they're confused about a different aspect of the resurrection. But in verse 16, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Jesus' resurrection is assured. Our resurrection for those who are in Christ is assured. And the Christian hope is not, it's not for some future disembodied spirit world. We're not going to be like angels floating on the clouds just in this peace. But our Christian hope is in our own bodies to see God. Our resurrected bodies will bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus himself. Like Christ, we will be without sin, and so there will be nothing to hinder fellowship with one another. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. That my, that my body will be recognizable, but it will be without pain and sin. It will be without sickness I'll stand before Jesus, my eternal king, and I'll represent him like I was created to do. And Paul, in First Thessalonians, ends that with, therefore, encourage one another with these words. We need to encourage. While we go through the trials, the day-to-day -day things of life, we need to encourage one another that we serve a resurrected Savior that has promised us that one day we too will be resurrected with him. All who are in Christ have a steadfast hope in Christ that because he is preeminent in the resurrection, one day in our glorified bodies we will be with him because he is making all things new. Fourth, I want us to look at the victory of the resurrection. Not only is there hope in the resurrection, but there's victory in the resurrection. We have a, a resurrected Savior who defeated sin and death. 
In verse 21 and 22, it said, By a man has also come, come also the resurrection of the dead, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. In verse 25 says, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. In verse 54, when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is swallowed up in victory. Let's get the picture of that. When we die, we're buried, we're swallowed up by the earth. Death itself will be swallowed up in victory because Jesus will put death to death. Death will be no more. The sting of death is sin. The victory in that is, but Christ bore the curse of sin. The power of sin of the law, but Christ satisfied the demand of the law. Therefore, Paul cries out, thanks be to God who gives the victory through Jesus Christ. When Christ died, he forgave sin, he fulfilled the law, he defeated death, and obtained not life not just for our souls, but also for our bodies. One day in our bodies, we will be before our King and our Creator. The victory of the resurrection for all who are in Christ is, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death. The victory of the resurrection is that if you are in Christ There is no condemnation. There is no death in Christ Jesus. And he doesn't just leave it there. He finishes towards the end of the chapter in Romans chapter 8, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. All who are in Christ can have a steadfast hope for eternal life and a glorified body with Christ. What our body was meant to be will be made in fruition when we stand before Jesus Christ, our Creator and King. But in the meantime, presently, death still has sting and causes pain. If you've lost a loved one, even if they were in Christ, there is still pain and loss and death as we live in a sin-filled world. But the victory of the resurrection is that one day there will be no more pain or sting and death because death will be no more. King Jesus will put death to death and he will make all things new. Revelation chapter 1 says in verse 17 and 18, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last the Alpha and the Omega, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. Revelation 21, verse 4 and 5 says, He will, 
speaking of Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Death is defeated because he is alive and lives forevermore. We get the joy of celebrating Christmas and all the trappings that come around Christmas as Christians because we know that Jesus is alive and reigning and one day our resurrected glorified bodies will be with him. Eric Sauer writes, speaking of the resurrection and um, celebrating Christmas and what this means, he writes, the present age is Easter time. It begins with the resurrection of the Redeemer and ends with the resurrection of the redeemed. Between lies the spiritual resurrection of all those called into life through Christ. So we live between two Easter's. And in the power of the first Easter, we go to meet the last Easter. So Christians can confidently wait our own resurrection and glorified bodies because Jesus rose from the dead, defeating sin. So what, lastly, I want us to look at, so what is our response to the resurrection? In the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and it almost seems out of place. He's talking about sin and Adam and our resurrected bodies and what that's going to be like and the mystery behind it. And he ends the chapter in verse 58 with, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So Paul says, in light of the resurrection, that therefore, in light of the verses above it, in light of what we know about what's going to happen and what's, what Jesus has conquered, in light of all that, this should be our response. Our resurrection hope and victory should have, cause us to have this response. He says, listen up. You want to know God's will for your life? You've ever wondered, what's God's will for my life? You've heard people say, what's God's will for my life? Well, this is one of those God's will for your life verses. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So what does that mean? This idea of being steadfast means a steady movement forward to the goal. Keep going and don't let up. Don't start and stop. Don't get distracted. It's this idea of putting your hand to the plow and keep going until the work is done, even though the work is hard, even though there's distraction around you. And be immovable. It means don't get knocked down. Don't get, bl get blown over. Don't be blown away by every wind of doctrine. Keep yourself balanced. Stand strong and unshaken when the rains come and the storms come. Because we're founded on the rock, Jesus Christ. Be immovable. Be like the boulder who can't get washed away. Be like the tree planted by the rivers of water. Abounding in the work of the Lord. 
What does abound mean? To overflow. Abounding in the work of the Lord. Do lots of it. Fill your days with things that matter for Jesus. Pray about it. Dream about it. Plan for it, but then work. Work for the kingdom. I don't know about you, but even on my best day, I struggle to be steadfast and movable, always abounding. But the good news is, he doesn't just tell us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. You don't have to do it on your own. In Christ, we can be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And he says that. See, in light of the fact that we are in Christ, we have resurrection, hope, and victory. Every believer should be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So this isn't just a suggestion. This is something that we're supposed to do in light of our resurrection hope. Because we are rooted and grounded in Christ, therefore we are to endure and persevere in Christ, our cornerstone. This is why Paul can say in Philippians chapter 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We serve a resurrected Savior who is making all things new. So be steadfast in Christ and the hope of the resurrection. Be immovable in Christ and the hope of the resurrection. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Do things, fill your life with things that matter for Jesus. Christians, we are able to have steadfast hope for eternal life because Jesus turned death, the ultimate tragedy, into the ultimate triumph through the resurrection. Therefore, in Christ, we are called to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another in these words. Let's pray.